enemy can say to you in your heart that will make this truth not true in your life. Go ahead and bring your rap sheet of all your failures, all of your sins, and let me show you one thing. I'll show you verses over and over that says that his grace is greater than your sin, that you are never too far gone, you are not lost, that the adoption that he has given you cannot be unadopted, that God loves you, that Jesus loves you, that he died on the cross for you, that he rose from the dead. And because of that, Colossians tells us that he gets the preeminence, the preeminence of all things. That for the joy set before him, he endured the shame, despising it, enduring the cross, did it, and now is at the right hand of the Father. And he has finished a work. He has completed it. Now all can call on his name and be saved. That is why his name is exalted above every other name. That's why we're here today. Brothers and sisters, let's pray. Father, you say that we can come boldly to your throne. Maybe something that, a verse that we don't grasp the, the wonder and the amazement of because we're not well acquainted with the Old Testament of those who could not come into your presence because they would die. Those who had to be clean and ceremonially clean and perfect and only a certain type of person and only so many times else they would die in your presence. So now when Jesus comes and he dies and he rises and you tell us that we can come boldly to your throne to find grace and help in our time of need. I pray that would wash over every single one of us. You'd help us to know the great grace and love that you have for every single person on the planet. In spite of what we've done, you're not surprised by it. God, wash, wash over us with your word. Encourage our hearts. Those who, if there are those here or those listening who aren't saved, you let them see the gospel. You let them see the truth and they would turn to you and believe for salvation and remind your church of that this morning. We pray it in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated, church. Well, 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 it is, it is good always to see you. I, I need to give some explanation before we get into the sermon today because today's a little different. Today we're done with James. Next week is when we're having our kickoff service. And so what that means is that's when we look at beginning the year, you know, school starting, things are, the fall's beginning, things are, are ramping back up. And we take that time to really focus in on like, okay, where do we want to start with? What does God want us to, to teach? What do we want the church to know? And we feel very much led to, to speak on who we are and what we believe and our pillars and our mission and to bring that and make that a very intentional thing. And that's starting next week. But there's this Sunday today, where we're not in James and we haven't started that. So what in the world, God, do you want me to preach? And I've been wrestling over this for a few weeks now, talking with my fellow brothers uh, throughout the week. What do you think? And feeling, explaining to them this sense that I've had the last couple of weeks after being in James, describing just kind of how I feel, like kind of what I feel like God's leading me to, not quite sure the verse, praying over it. And as I was kind of explaining my heart, it was actually Sam. He said, don't give me credit. I'm gonna give him credit. Sam was like, it sounds like you're saying like we've been in this deep dive, like underwater, and now it's time to come up for a, a, breath of, a, a breath of fresh air. I said, that's exactly it. And so I haven't, I haven't been able to stop thinking about that, Sam, until then. So I want you to think about it like this. Let's, let's, let's run with that illustration a little bit. If the gospel is what gives us life, we breathe life constantly. I mean, how long can I go without breathing before I die? And here there's, there's, there's uh, air all around us that... 
that's sustaining us and keeping us alive. The gospel's like that. You know, it's like standing on the ocean and you're peering out over this great deep sea and you're seeing this beautiful sunset, taking in this refreshment. And then when you go into a book of James for months with a snorkel and you dive and you dive and you dive and you begin looking at the, the reef and the animals and all the things in it, you, you, what happens naturally, it's like there's this natural sense that God put in our body like, man, it's time to go up for air. And so that's kind of what I've been experiencing. That's what I want to do today. I want us to, to go up for air, air being the thing that God has interwoven through everything in scripture, Jesus and the gospel and what he's done and how worthy he is is the motivation for everything we do. So if we've been in the book of James and we've been kind of challenging real faith, real faith, really each week hitting it and testing it and us all kind of being confronted with like, man, is my faith genuine? Man, it's time to go back up for fresh air and remember, remember what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. So that's one of the reasons I'm going to be in the passage I'm going to be in today. The other reason is this. Last week, we talked about being a church that rescues. And I've been also still in this mindset of thinking about rescuing, rescuing, rescuing. And many have said, like, how do I rescue? How do I rescue? What am I doing? How do I do this? The simple thing is this. God has given a gospel message that is easy to understand that goes out to all the world. And so whether someone's lost or whether someone's wandering from the truth, it's always the same wonderful, beautiful loving message that the world needs to hear and those who wander who need to hear. So being a church that rescues means we take this message to the world. So I I want to accomplish a few things today. I want the church to be refreshed. I, I don't want the enemy to take advantage of you after going through a book like James and maybe start making you focus on on how hard it is to get to heaven because it's not In a book like James, if we're not careful, the enemy can use it to cause us to spiral out of control and say something like this. I want you to see the title today. Say something like this. Here's the title. Is there really any hope for someone like me? Now, the book of James is not meant to do that. It doesn't do that. I just know the human heart, and I know even the own struggles I've had as you read through things and you start feeling this weight of condemnation come over you as you start reflecting on and looking inwardly and see, seeing where you're missing it and where you're failing. That just naturally causes that self-deprecating spiral. That's not of God. The enemy does that. Though we are to test ourselves to see if we're in the faith. I wonder, is there anyone here who, would, who, who can resonate with that question? Maybe you're watching and just saying, is there really any hope for someone like me? What is that communicate to you? What does that tell you about the person that's asking that? What does that tell you about what they think of themselves? What does that tell you about hope in their life, right? That's that's a very desperate situation, and I actually think this is a good place to be, to get to, but not stay there, because in this is humility. In this shows that this person recognizes there's something about themselves that isn't perfect, And they're experiencing and becoming acquainted with the plight of life that they're in. So here's here's the plight of life mankind is in. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. No one seeks after God, the scriptures tells us. Same book of Romans where he's quoting uh, the Old Testament there. 
says the wages of sin is death. We're going to be in the book of Romans today, Romans chapter 10, if you want to turn there. Romans chapter 10, go, uh, go ahead and start turning there. But the plight of mankind is one that is seemingly hopeless because God who created the universe made us, put us here on planet earth and has destined a plan for us to live with him in fellowship. And we have chosen, it says this in scripture, to go our own way. None seeks after God. All have gone their own way. Like sheep, we have gone astray. And so the, the identity of mankind is lost and wandering. But God in his love pursues us. He pursues us and he rescues us. And I want you to be reminded of the simplicity and the grace and the gift and the mercy that is over you. And I I want you to be reminded, brother or sister, if maybe your own thoughts are weighing you down and causing you to feel like your salvation and being close to God and making to heaven is somehow a hard thing. I want to remind you of the truth. So you guys ready to to, uh, come up from the coral wreath and go back up for a breath of fresh air? You ready for it? All right, Romans chapter 10, let's go. Is there really any hope for someone like me? Now, I've got to explain that question because that can be said in many different scenarios. I'm talking specifically about the scenario of being made right with God. The circumstance of where things are hopeless for a person and we need to be reconciled with God because the Bible tells tells us we're at enmity with him. The God who made us, even if we don't know it or feel that, the Bible is revealing that God and you are at war and he will win. And if something doesn't happen, if that relationship isn't made right, the wrath of God is upon you and will be revealed when you die and stand before him in judgment. But your life is a gift of patience for him for you to hear the hope that is in the world and to respond to it. So we're gonna look at two things today, two things that need to happen to make things right with God. And maybe I could say this for the church, two things that need to be, we need to be, reminded of after a book of James, going through the book of James. Two things that must happen if we want to be made right with God, and they're pretty simple. The first one is this. We must reject trying to do it ourselves. We must reject trying to please God or earn his favor in our own strength. And the Bible goes through great lengths to help us especially in the New Testament, but it's throughout the whole Bible, both old and new, to help us understand that salvation comes by faith alone and not through the efforts and the works of man. So let's just read this real quick, and then we're going to come back and look at it. Romans 10, starting in verse 1. Paul says this, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, he's talking about his fellow brothers in Israel, the Jews, is that they may be saved. You see that? There it is. There's the motivation. There's the intention. If you're watching or someone here sends you this video and says, I want to rescue you, the motivation is that you would be saved. The motivation is that you would be reminded and you would have assurance of your salvation, I could say. But the motivation is we want people to be saved. This was Paul's motivation. My prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He says this, for I bear witness 
I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for the righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Stop there. Now listen, when I just read this, I have like many question marks that come to mind. There's some confusion there. There's some things I'm like, that needs explanation. But overall, I can get this basic message of rejecting, trying to do things myself. And we we don't have to be lost and wondering to try to do things ourselves, do we? The, The Christian is constantly faced with trying to go back to the vomit, constantly faced with feeling like we have to go back to some place where we are, we are required with this heavy burden to have to earn God's love. And when the believer is stuck in that, they become weary. They become ineffective for him. They become miserable. I've been there. I know what that's like. It's a constant fight. Like, man, is, is God's grace really over me? Is this faith is my faith really enough? Like, man, it seems like, yep, there's that. that I, it's like my whole week seems to be, all I can think about is where I've missed it. Now I feel this weight of condemnation. We have to reject trying to do it ourselves. We cannot spend our life and all of our efforts trying to make it to heaven. It will not succeed. So here's what I want us to see. I want us to go back through, look at this, and I want to show you, based off what Paul just told us, what spending our life, spending our entire life trying to do it ourselves, what it actually means for us. And the hope is that when you see this, you'll be strengthened to be like, okay, I can let go of that, and I can give it to God and trust his grace over me to strengthen me. So look at this. Trying to do it yourself means spending your life, first I want you to see this, in wasted energy. Could you imagine that? Spending your whole life, all of your physical energy, all of your exertion being thrown out the window and be wasted. Though you have the most sincere heart ever, all of that energy is wasted. Look what he says here about his fellow brothers. You can hear the pain in his voice as he says it. He says, my prayer for my brothers is that they would be saved. Look what he says about them, verse two. He says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Look at this. Their heart has a zeal for the God that they serve, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, that word embodies like like an emotion and excitement and an exertion, an action, right? But he says, not according to knowledge. It's a zeal that's not based off the right thing. It's not according to God for what he has said it needs to be to him for. And so it's this great sincerity and energy and zeal for God. And you see it as Jesus shows up on the scene and the Pharisees and the religious leaders and his own people in that day who would go through many great 
efforts to try to serve him and please him through the law only for Jesus to be like, okay, you're doing all of these things, but the one thing I require of you is that you believe in me and they reject him. And they have this zeal for God, so much so that they would stone Stephen, so much so that they would kill Jesus, so much so that they would say, let his blood be on our hand. They have a zeal for God, thinking that they're doing the right thing. But if we spend, now we're going to apply it ourselves, but if they continue to spend the rest of their life in that zeal, it'll be wasted energy because they're trying to do it in their own strength. Same thing for us. If we're trying to go through life, trying to get to heaven and please God in our own strength, one thing we need to know, we're going to spend our life in totally wasted energy. We're getting heavy all of a sudden. You're like, dude, just take us to James and now we're getting heavy. Trust me, this is good. This is, this is helping us reject this nasty thing that the enemy's constantly trying to insert in our life. Verse three, trying to do it ourselves means spending our life in unnecessary ignorance. Look what he says there in verse three. He says, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And he says this, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God. I say it's unnecessary ignorance because God's people have the revealed character and desire of God. This is not just a New Testament thing. Actually, in the book of Romans, Paul is using Abraham as an example. Abraham, before the law was even established of how he was made right with God, simply because he trusted him, he believed. And it was counted to him as righteousness. You know, the word in righteousness, that word right. So how can I be made right with God? Is there really any hope for someone like me? Paul uses the example of Abraham. But spending our life trying to do it ourselves, do our own way, means we spend our life in unnecessary ignorance. They had God's word. They had the knowledge, but they did not live in zeal toward that knowledge, which meant they lived each day ignorant that they were following the wrong way. I think of the book of John where it says Jesus came to his own and his own people didn't receive him. How sad of a verse. You know, it's, all of this is examples for us. The church of God, we have God's word right here. We have, we have what God is telling us. But how many of us spend each day, each day under a weight of condemnation, either of our own conscience, not putting the faith in the work and the finished work of Jesus, feeling like constantly we gotta do something to make things right. Maybe just because we're trying to placate a, a, a feeling inside that doesn't feel good. And we just, at the end of the day, we wanna salve the conscience and be able to sleep better at night, right? And so we hurry, hurry, hurry. We busy ourselves. We, we never take time to just fall on our knees and pray and ask God to be merciful and patient with us. And that's never good enough because we gotta do something to make up for it, Right? We may not be able to relate to the 600 different commandments in the law of God and having to live according to them, but we can relate to having to, you know, if I want something good, I got to do good. Unnecessary ignorance. Look at the rest of verse three. Doing it yourself means spending your rest of your life in rebellion to God. So not only were they ignorant, but it says this, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking, I'm sorry, Seeking to establish their own, right there. Seeking to establish their own, spending the rest of their life chasing a pipe dream. I think I got ahead of myself there. 
speaking, spending the rest of their life chasing a pipe. Does anybody want to, anybody want to spend all of their energy chasing something that's never going to happen? Their, their, their goal is in trying to seeking to establish their own. That's not just a Jewish problem. It's not an Israel problem. That's a man problem. We want things to work out our way. Guys, if we don't reject trying to please God in our own strength and doing things our own way, if we will spend the rest of our life in a pipe dream. And then the rest of verse three shows we'll also spend our life in rebellion to God. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness, God's right way, God's way of living, God's way, God's righteousness. Spending the rest of our life in rebellion to God. All the while inside thinking this is right, being motivated, having energy, having sincerity. This is the state of the world. Everyone thinks that they're going the right way. If you're listening, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. None of us ever choose to stumble upon and just start going the right way. We, no one seeks after God, the scripture says. That means left to our own, we will always go away from him, not to him. But if we live our lives following our own way and our own strength, doing it our way, we'll spend the rest of our life in rebellion. Look at this, wasted energy, unnecessary ignorance, pipe dream, rebellion to God. Look at verse five, here's the next one. Under the condemnation of perfection. Anybody wanna stay under the condemnation of of perfection the rest of your life. He gives the answer here in verse four. He says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So he gives the good news, but then he goes right back into it. He says this in verse five, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law or efforts or works that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. You can look at it two ways. You have to obey them, or if you want to have life from them, you have to obey them. And we know what that does. No man will be justified by the works of the law. The law was only given to condemn us. This is interesting. Do you know this? That God gave the law to Moses. He actually gave it to us so that our sin would abound. The law was given so that sin would abound. Not because God wanted us to law, wanted us to sin, but because he wanted us to see how sinful we are. And so the law is given so that now we can have this mirror and we can see who we are, see our plight, which we don't naturally come to and say we're lost, so we can see we're lost and then look to him and say, I need help. But also so we could see the standard of God, which is what the law represents, to see that we can never in our own strength ever live up to the standard of God. Is anyone here perfect enough to live like God every millisecond of their day? Absolutely not. So if you spend the rest of your life trying to do it yourself, living to that standard, you're going to spend the rest of your life under the condemnation of perfection because you'll never be able to live up to it. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a heavy burden, a heavy yoke upon my shoulder. That's not something that's gonna, that's gonna cause you to just well up and say, you sing songs to God. You'll be singing songs to God in this sense of like, please don't strike me dead. It's, too, it's a different heart. But that's the heart of someone who's under the condemnation of the law and of perfection. Is that you? 
You finding yourself there? Finding it easy to be in that state more so to being in the state where you're trusting the grace of God in your life and his love and his mercy and his patience and his kindness and his compassion and his steadfast love over your life. Now look at these last few verses before we go to the next thing. Verses six through eight. The next thing I want us to see is if we don't reject doing ourselves, we'll spend the rest of our life trying to do what we're incapable of doing. Look at verse six. He says, but the righteousness based on faith, now Paul is talking about the true gospel, the righteousness based on faith, which means the, the righteousness you get to God as a means of just simply having faith says this, and he's going to quote the Old Testament. Here's where it gets confusing, so I want to make sure we pay attention and understand this. The righteousness based on faith says, now he's going to quote Deuteronomy, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. He puts it in quotes. That is to bring Christ down is not in the Old Testament. Or verse seven, who will ascend into the abyss? And it quotes again, or uh, uh, parentheses, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What? is Paul doing here? What is he trying to get us and more specifically his brothers and sisters who would have naturally understood this more where we need a little bit of explanation? What is he trying to get them to think of? Well, think about what he just said. He says, he says, if you go back to the Old Testament and he says the righteousness based on faith and he's quoting the Old Testament. So the Old Testament was never about following law to be made right. It's always been about faith. He says the Old Testament says, Moses had said, when they had gotten the law from God, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Or let me say it in the way of the expression where it makes sense. Man, who's who's gonna go to heaven and get help for us? Or who will uh, descend into the abyss? The Old Testament actually says, go across the sea. He says, don't say these things because that's the spirit of someone who's like, man, I need help. And it's like really far off and someone's gotta go get it. Someone's got, we got to go across the sea and got to go get it. Or we got we to go up to heaven. Let me ask you this. Who, who of us can descend into the ocean or on our own strength ascend into heaven? It's impossible. He's like, well, you're going to have like a submachine or submarine. No, no, no. In your own strength, he's saying things that are impossible. So he's saying, don't say in your heart who's going to do this impossible thing. No one can. You spend the rest of your life trying to do something you can't do. But look, he, gives, he, he, he even clarifies it. Who will go into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to raise Christ from the dead. What was the power that brought Jesus into the world? And what was the power that rose him from the dead? I'll tell you what, it wasn't our strength. It was the Holy Spirit. It was the power of God. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, the spirit overshadowed Mary and Jesus came into the world and then Jesus rose from the dead and we had nothing to do with it. Trying to spend the rest of our life doing it ourselves is trying to do what we are incapable of doing, but also this, I want you to see, trying to do what's already been done. Let me ask you this, has Christ come down from heaven, church? Has Christ come down from heaven? Wow, the church of the living God. Has Christ come down from heaven, church? Amen. It is true. Has Christ risen from the dead? Amen. Amen. It is true. 
wow, I, you know what? I don't have to do what I'm incapable of doing. And guess what? I don't have to do what's already been done. This is good news. But it is so hard to live in this news because the enemy wants you to not experience that joy every day of your life because you will be used mightily by God if you let that in every day. He wants to keep you under the condemnation of the law of your heart. But we're got, we've got the word of God and we're gonna remind ourselves all the time of the great love and work on our behalf from Jesus that supplies us and equips us to be able to live for him no longer under the condemnation of the law. This is why we're talking about this today. I want the church to be strengthened and refreshed and I want you guys to be able to live in the joy and the peace that God has destined for all of his children. Not just when you get to heaven, but now, here and now. But here we have to, we have to finish this. Verse eight. Here's the sad reality. Anyone listening who's in that lost state, here's what I want you to see. Trying to do it yourself for the rest of your life means that you will spend your whole life missing the hope that's been next to you all along. Look what he says in verse eight. He says, but what does it say? Old Testament, he's gonna quote it again. This is the same part. He says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Moses has said, you don't have to ascend to heaven. You don't have to, God has already given it to you. He's already given what you need. What is he talking about here? What is it? That is the word of faith that we proclaim. I wanna help you understand this. I wanna make sure you see this. You know, I was thinking about this passage Think about how we're summit church and how life can feel like ascending a very impossible hill. hill. Um, and as I got to studying people who, who uh, backpack up Everest, I came across an interesting fact that was kind of sad. People go to try to ascend this great mountain. They spend all their energy and efforts trying to get up there is this great testimony of the strength of themselves to be able to like climb and conquer this mountain, right? Not necessarily a bad thing, but at the same time, it does show the desire of the heart of man to do things in their own strength. But you know what the reality of Everest is? Is on the mountain currently as we speak, I found out that there's like 200 bodies that are frozen and remain there on that mountain because it's so treacherous to ascend it that no one's able to really go and get these bodies and bring them to their family. Some been over there over 20 years. Could you imagine that? Climbing this mountain and then all of a sudden you see a very well-preserved body that's 20 years old as a constant reminder of someone who perished in the wake of this treacherous journey, right? That, you know what, that shows me the frailty of life. You know what that shows me? I'm not as strong as I think I am. Right, but we got it. You know, you step o- step over green boots feet, if you know who I'm talking about, and you ascend to the summit. I, I want you to imagine we were all on this mountain, and say we came to someone who had perished. How tragic that would be! The body frozen, constant reminder. But we see them clutching their backpack. Right, so we we're curious, so we take the time to grab the backpack, sit it down. It's like, whoa, man, this seemed important to this guy. What's in it? 
It's right here on him. It's been on him the whole time. So we start to open it up. Like, man, this guy was obviously too cold, probably perished of hunger. We start to open it up, and we see, oh, look, oh, there's some oatmeal here. How about that? That's not going to save him. He needs a little bit. Oh, well, he's got some, he's got a bar here. Wow, look at that. Oh, there's another bar. Oh, what, is, what else has he got in here? Oh, a phone. Oh, how about that? Let's say even a GPS device. Wow. Oh, he's even got tea. Wow, what else has he got in here? Let's, let's just keep going here. Oh, man. Matches. Oh, you know, on Everest, that would be important. Oh, what is this? Oh, look at that. A little, uh, little portable canister to grill, boil water, boil snow, cook, right? First aid kit. Oh, man, we're opening up. Oh, a knife, a good knife. Oh, more oatmeal. How about that? Oh, more tea. Man, this guy is just... He's got, okay, let's see what's in this main pack. There's something in here. Oh, chicken. Well, how about that? Beans, right? Yeah. Ooh, corn. You better chew that up. It ain't going to help you. You know what I mean? Oh, and then, how about this? You know what? I wonder, you know, he's clutching the backpack when he could have been clutching this blanket the whole time. You know, something else in here. Oh, Oh, how about this? Oh, my goodness. A book that says how to stay alive in the woods. Do you guys know what irony is? How tragic to see someone who's perished and right next to them the whole time are the very things that would have kept them alive. Yet we spend our life trying to do things in our own strength Jesus is literally chasing us. God's word is here the whole time with everything I need. Amen. The word is near you. You don't have to go to heaven to get it. You don't have to go down to get it. Like, man, I've, Jesus has already come. I've given you everything you need. It's literally, it's just, it's, it's a mouth away. It's a heart away. What does he mean by that? That's what we're going to get into. Missing the hope that's been next to you all along. How tragic. How tragic. I think of people who who don't have ears to hear, that throughout the course of all life, they've heard this message over and over and over and over again, and yet they refuse to accept it. The simplicity of the love and the grace of God is in rejecting going our own way and our own strength for the rest of our life and accepting the free gift of God, which is Jesus Christ. So he says, next, which is what we need to do if we want to be made right with God, reject going our own way, accept God's free gift, Jesus Christ. And look what he says here in verse nine. He says, his word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. So this is why he says this in verse nine. Very well-known verse, but maybe now having the context, it'll mean even more to you. Verse nine, he says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want us to go back to see this. Uh, there's one slide before I want us to see because I want you to see it in the words. So we go back to one more slide right here. 
That hopeless, condemned feeling should only rest on the shoulders of those trying in their own strength. When you've called out to the Lord and you know him and you go through those pockets of life where that condemned feeling, that heavy yoke comes upon you, the, the spirit does convict us, but the spirit's fruit, his goal is lead us to repentance and to lead us back to peace and to joy and to life. But any of those feelings that come upon our shoulder that lead us to more and more dread, less and less faith, more and more of a spiraling anxiety that God doesn't love us, it's not the spirit. This isn't something that's just a good news one time in your life and the rest of your life, you then go back to the law and now you gotta please God. No, this is the message that you have to keep coming back up for air and being refreshed in and then everything else in scripture makes sense. Everything else flows from this is the refreshment of the good news that's in Jesus Christ. So now I wanna show you what accepting Jesus means in your life. Accepting Jesus first means this. In an interpretation, or what does it actually mean? It means confessing Jesus as Lord. Verse nine, he says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. This is very, very important because if you read through the gospels, you'll see Peter say that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus immediately said, Peter, you did not say that on your own for the father in heaven revealed that to you. You read the book of 1 John, and you'll see that John says that no one confesses that Jesus is the Christ except by the Spirit. Why? Because we are going our own way. It is actually rooted in us to rebel against God, and no one in their own strength is ever going to say that Jesus is Lord. That's how you know God's at work in you. That's how you know that, that God has worked in you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Church, is Jesus Lord? Is he Lord? Is he your Lord? You believe he is the authority and the master and the king of my life. And can you say that with your lips? accepting Jesus means believing in the heart, something very specific. So G Paul is really trying to make sure that we, we are genuine in this. And he says this, not only confessing that Jesus is Lord, but this, but believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. We sung about it. Let me ask you this, is Jesus risen? Has Jesus risen? Do, do, you, I want to, do you believe that? In your heart, I believe. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I believe he's God. I believe he's Lord and he's my Lord and I can say it with my lips. This, this is very important because he says this. If you do that, you will be saved. If you can do that, say that. And that's true in your heart. And then he explains this. He says, for with the heart, one believes and is justified. Wow. Are you kidding me? I've been spending my whole life, all of this energy, sweat, toil, and tears trying to be justified before God, and none of that meant anything. I still was perishing in the storm, and you mean just turning to him and trusting him and believing makes me justified? Yeah, that's God's righteousness. That's his way. That's what he's communicated to all of mankind with the heart, 
one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, God is the one who knows if you just honor him with your lips, but your heart is far from him. He knew that about the Pharisees because they would, again, they had a zeal for God. They honored him, but God's way through faith in Jesus Christ, they rejected. So that's how you know their heart wasn't right. But if you believe Jesus is Lord, you believe he rose from the dead. You've confessed him as Lord and you confess him every single day in the quietness of your heart. Man, you know this is true. You're not just trying to like socially be acceptable. So you're like joining a church and you're trying to be along with everybody. You're not just coming to church because the family member or the spouse is making you come or because you got to do it for your kids, but you're like, that's for them, but not for me. You're not just here because your parents are making you be here. But like, man, you believe Jesus rose from the dead and you've confessed him as Lord. Scripture says you're saved, justified. And you're gonna experience weakness for the rest of your life as long as you're in this body. You're gonna experience failure and sin. The good news of 1 John says, I write these things so that you may not sin, but if any of you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. God is so good. Verse 10 Accepting God's free gift, accepting Jesus means salvation from sin. Salvation, I mean, it's the picture of being in a perilous emergency, urgent situation and being saved. Sin had put us in that perilous situation and Jesus has saved us. You will be saved. This is why it's good news. But man rejects good news because they don't want to accept that they need something outside of them to be helped and to be saved. Even the very fact that they need to be saved is offensive. If that's not offensive to you and you're, you're able to say, yeah, yeah, I need to be saved. Like, I'm a sinner. Jesus said to Nicodemus that those who come to the light prove, they prove that their works are being carried out by God. That's the sign that God is at work in you, that you can admit, I'm a sinner. I know it. Not ashamed of it. And I'm willing to confess that. Jesus is Lord. I believe all of that is fruit of a genuine believer. You don't have to climb to heaven or descend into the abyss to get it. That's a sign that through your mouth and through your heart that your salvation is already here and you already have it. Now, guys, can I give you more good news? We're almost done, but I want you to hear this. Accepting Jesus doesn't only mean salvation from sin. It also means this. No more disappointments. Look at verse 11. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and saves. Verse 11 says, For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Hey, you know what? Let's line up and all share testimony of all the things outside of Jesus we've turned, for, turned to for joy and hope and pleasure and comfort. And I'll bet you this, the end of the road of all of those things was probably shame. And we taught this down at uh, Gateway Gathering this past week. And when I said that, it was like, <laughs> it was like holding back tears. Just everyone, <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Oh, how beautiful. Accepting Jesus. All who believe in him. Everyone who believes. It'll be the end of shame. You'll not be put to shame. That means no more disappointments if you're coming to Jesus you're not going to like three years from now be like, man, like that Jesus thing. 
No, it's not going to be like at the end of the road, you're going to find out like, oh, that was pretty selfish of me to go to Jesus. Or like, man, I'm just overcome with guilt and shame as a result of like trusting in Jesus. No, it's true. You give your life to Jesus. You follow him every single day of your life. It's not going to be shame you experience. It's going to be a conscience that's linked with the very purpose and fate of what God made you for. And that's relationship with him. It'll be more joy than anything more pleasure than anything we can experience on earth. But the, the world is constantly vying to take that back. Accepting Jesus also means this. No one is excluded. Verse 12, look what he says. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Man, how good news is that? Maybe you're listening Or maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, I'm hearing what you're saying and all of that's true, but you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done to my family, the people closest to me. You don't know what I've done in secret. You don't know my thoughts and the words that I've said. So what? You're not excluded. Your sin is not more powerful than Jesus' sacrifice. Your sin is not more powerful than Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. You can be saved. Even you. Is there really hope for someone like me, like you? Yes. It's up to you if you're going to believe it. Like, why? You're, you're preaching this to a church. Doesn't a church already amen this and know this? I know we do, but here's what I know day in and day out, we live like this isn't true. And we get ravaged by the enemy. We have to be reminded of it, we have to come up to the surface and remember what it's all about. No one is excluded. And then verse 12, at the end of it, we don't have time to go into it. Guys, it just keeps getting better. Accepting Jesus means the riches of God. The inheritance of Jesus and all the riches that would be bestowed upon the only begotten son of God are given to you. First Peter tells us that there is an inheritance in heaven waiting for you waiting to be revealed to you. And get this, it is kept by God's power through what? Does anybody know? Being kept by God's power through you working really hard to keep him happy the rest of your life. Is that what it says? Does anybody know what it says? By faith. Being guarded by God's power through faith. That's why when you read the book of James, he wants us to remain steadfast because the one thing that matters that you don't do is give up on your faith. Through everything, you keep believing. The riches of God will be bestowed upon you and that's more than anything we can even describe here. In verse 13, he reiterates it. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Accepting Jesus means God's lifetime guarantee. You know, grammar matters. If he said here, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord had been saved, that would make you be like, okay, that was a past event. He says, will be saved in that word. Will be saved. The grammar of it is present. It's active and it's continuous. It keeps going. Because your inheritance is kept in heaven for you, ready to be revealed being guarded by God's power through faith. The only thing, the only thing that would reveal that's not true about you is you gave up on Jesus because those who have genuine faith don't give up. So 
the balance of all of this church is to remember what matters, how it all began, always coming back up for air, being refreshed. And we must reject trying to do it ourselves, accept God's free gift. And look at this uh, quote I have on the screen. Next verse, reject the false religion of I must do something, accept and rest in Jesus' finished work on your behalf. Where are you at? Maybe some of you are like, I'm just amening this because this is true and I know it's true and I wake up remembering this every day. Maybe there's some of you that's like, oh man, it's been years, years, years and it seems so simple, but it's like I forgot. Walking up the mountain, freezing to death, carrying everything that I need, but not utilizing it. God gives you his grace that abounds over your sin. And John says that the grace of the Lord, it's the fullness of God. We've received from him grace upon grace, the waves of the shore, hitting the ocean, the seashore, the constant reminder of God's grace on your life. He says his steadfast love endures forever. He says that his mercies are new every morning. You, child of God, will not be able to outdo God's love for you, but the enemy wants you to forget that, so you inevitably or hopefully would give up on him. And God's saying, no, I want you to remember the provision that I made for you. Keep remembering that coming back to me. But maybe there's someone listening or someone here where you're like, man, I know, I know. Man, I'm spending my life wasting it away, trying to do it myself, ignorance, doing everything under the condemnation of perfection. And something inside of me has kept me from just surrendering. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's an idol. Something you're just like, I just don't want to let go of this so I don't come to Jesus. I'm telling you, that thing will not satisfy you. It will not lead you to life. It will not help you. It will not love you. It did not lay its life down for you. It did not rise from the dead for you. You call out to God without worrying about having to clean your life up first, you call out to God, you cry out to Jesus and you ask to be saved. You confess him as Lord and believe in your heart. He rose from the dead and you will be saved and come join the family. You know, I'm still thinking about rescuing people. Church, this is the message that we take to people. There is no other hope to a lost and dying world. We take this message we take it to our friends, we take it to our family, we take it to people we come in contact with, our neighbors, and we pray and ask God to open doors so we can let people see the light that he's brought to us so that we can be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your goodness and your love and your kindness and compassion. I pray you'd strengthen your church. I pray for the brothers and sisters here who have just been far too long under the heavy hand of the enemy, being discouraged, that they would fill the times and the seasons of refreshing right now. That God, through what's said and what you've revealed would not weigh us down, but it would give us the strength to be able to reject doing it ourselves. God, you'd make it easy in our heart to accept every day of our life the provision for us in Jesus Christ through faith alone. I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus.